latest from Scotston. This is Warriors Weekly, Glasgow Warriors' official podcast. Hello and welcome back to Warriors Weekly. This week I'm joined, as always, by Craig Wright. Craig, how are Hello. you? I'm very well. How's yourself? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And this week, our special guest on the podcast is former hooker, Glasgow Warriors Centurion, warrior number 108, Fergus Thompson. Fergus, how are you? How you doing? How's things? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. What's, uh, what's happening in your world? Uh, well, currently working working from home, like, uh, like a lot of us. So just uh, chipping away, but can do most things at, at home and got plenty plenty to do stay on a farm as well so got a farming business as well so so playing play play to keep me occupied and then the wife and kids as well sounds like it must be long days then is it <laughs> uh, another day in paradise aye exactly exactly yeah but you're itching to get out of the house are you back into the office yeah no it'd be nice it'd be nice to break things up but uh no we're pretty pretty lucky considering i mean you're stuck at the top of a tenement fan but full family and it'd be completely completely different ballgame that's for sure oh exactly 100 percent. so so the idea of getting you on this week is for the last few weeks we've been uh, talking to a few ex-players we had dan parks on last week we had kevin kachuk james eddie stuff like that just kind of looking back on on your time with us at the warriors uh kind of talk about some memories some key moments um so i guess starting off how did you come about i guess becoming a glasgow warriors player i think did you join us as an on an apprentice contract was it yeah, with the start of Apprentice, well, I played my first team because it was back then you had the Institute of Sport and I was on a part-time contract with them, which is sort of the starting of the sort of academy stuff back then. But then I played my club rugby with West of Scotland and so it was a wee bit of tug of war at the start because I actually paid for Edinburgh backup. Okay. Uh, and then Kiwi Saranki, the coach at the time for Glasgow, wasn't too happy about it, so he kept a bit of a stick and then and then I got involved with, with Glasgow and then sort of trained part-time uh, that season. It would be 2002, 2003 season, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made my debut with, with Sale. Uh, and then I went on another year sort of part-time and then went full-time as a, as a sort of a, an apprentice that would be the first, first contract. Yeah. Um, was it always a dream to, I guess, turn pro? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, I, think I was watching the sort of 95 World Cup. That's when I sort of said to my dad, I'm going to be a professional good player. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just like to be professional after that. So. Yeah. Was it, was it John Loma was the, the icon for you, as it seems to be with everybody that sort of grew up in the, the <laughs> 90s, early 2000s? Well, John Loma rugby, it was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was good time. A few hours wasted in that. Never managed to get a rugby game to that level yet. But uh, yeah, certainly watching that, I think Josh Confer was one of my favourite players. He was a seven. Uh, I sort of played seven back then, so I was a bit trimmer then. Slowly, slowly moved up to the front row. Yeah. And at what point did you kind of realise that actually, hang on, this dream is probably going to become a reality and I have a chance of turning pro? Was it in yeah. 95? Was it always just that was what was going to happen and nothing else was going to change? Or was there, was there kind of a, a point where you went, hang on a second, I'm kind of on the right path here? Yeah, well, sort of, you know, it'd be six years of school, so I was quite committed before that point, and training, training hard and stuff like that. Uh, up to that point, and I remember I got a letter that I'd been selected for Scotland for 18 uh, squad. And sort of at that point, I sort of realised, well, look, if you stick in, you work hard, you, you can achieve things. Because mm-hmm. before that point, I never never felt like it was going to happen. And then that that moment, I said, well, can I, 
the kind of came out into reality that you can, if you knuckle down, you can you can achieve what you want effectively. Yeah, and then it was a year later then that you actually kind of, I guess, got your first cap. So as you said there, you made your debut in the Heineken Heineken Cup against Sale in January of 2003. So you must have just been, what, 19, 19 years old? Yeah, just turned 19, I think, yeah. Yeah. And what, what, I guess, what was that kind of experience like finding out, I guess, again, make, making your debut in the Heineken Cup is you know, a pretty prestigious kind of thing. Like people say, I guess the guys these days say it's a big step up from Pro 14, just the Heine, uh, Heineken Champions Cup. So for you coming in there at such a high level, was there, was there I guess, there any kind of added pressure, any kind of... Uh, well, I suppose well, you're obviously going to be nervous, but I wouldn't say there's, there's any, any pressure because I don't think anybody's really expecting a lot from you at that, at that point. But uh, mm-hmm. it was something to get good to get a taste of it. Uh, unfortunately, Glasgow weren't doing too well at that stage. I think Kiwi Saki shortly got the sack after that. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, it was it was a great experience, and uh, no, it was just interesting to be be involved. I mean, certainly going from going from club club bay into the into the professional year was more sort of the, the physicality. That was the that was the big thing that, that mm-hmm. sort of stepped up and changed. Yeah. Do you remember much about the, the game itself? Eh, I don't know. I can remember coming on. There's a few scrums and things. I don't think I did too much, to be honest. Uh, I'm sure my agent, Candy Nickel, was playing that day as well at nine. So, and Cameron Blades, he was playing as well. He played a few years older than me as well. But uh, Glasgow, not ever hiding. I think it was probably about 40 points to 15 or something. Uh, well, we'll go also over the score. It's fine, don't worry. 10, 15 minutes. But I don't think it had a massive, massive, massive involvement in it. And, and as you, can, you touched on there, moving forward from, I guess, the back row into the front row and then into the position of hooker. So at, at what point did that kind of, I guess, were you cemented in as a hooker? When you were called up to under-18s for Scotland, were you by that point already at the front row as a hooker or were you still at Yeah, we were sort of under-16 and things. I was sort of playing as a seven. And then I think it was quite a year after that. So under-17s, under-18s under sort of made the, made the call to move to hooker. It was a development officer. Andy Henderson, who was a fight development officer at this time, he sort of uh, he sort of instigated it and uh, went went from there. It worked, seemed to work out quite well. Was it was it something you were initially kind of a bit skeptical of? The thought of being uh, like, no, not really. I think it was. Uh, I just wanted to wanted to play and I wanted to play at the highest possible level. And I thought it was a, a way of doing it. Then I was all all for it. Mm-hmm. I came across doing, doing a bit of research. I came across uh, a highlights video of yours on YouTube. Um, Certainly seems to be the case that the, the style of play from the back row seems to translate into to how you approach the game from ball in hand, run hard, hard hits. Um, was there was that ever something that you sort of consciously thought about, just sort of transferring your, your game style into the front row, or was it just this is how I play the game, doesn't matter what position I am? Yeah, I think it was pretty much that's what I enjoyed to do. I like, like the physicality of it, particularly like to carry carry ball and uh, and tackle. So I always think I've probably been quite good at rugby league, but uh. But that's that's what I did, and that's that's what I like to do. I maybe should have passed it a wee bit more, but <laughs> it was good fun. Seems and to be a, a sort of transition that, that quite a few front rows are making these. Obviously, um, we've got Fraser Brown at the minute, who's who's played back row for for us and for for Scotland as well. Um, I believe George Turner spent some time in the back row as well, and then across the across the M8, you've got guys like Ross Ford and, and Stuart McNally who have successfully gone from from back row taker. Um, was was there ever a, um, I thought the, the similarities between the two, or again, was it just getting out on the pitch with a with a Glasgow shirt on? Yeah, it was just about just about playing and getting getting involved as much much as you could. Uh, so if I sort of gauge myself in the game, if I could get over ten carries a game and uh, make over ten tackles, you need to have a 
had a pretty decent game. So I was sort of sort of the bench benchmark I sort of set myself. And obviously you'd want to be in the high nineties with the line outs. So, but but for me, it was just it was just about playing and enjoying it and getting getting involved in that physical contest. And and, and from your first few years at the club, are there any I guess standout memories for you? Uh, I've I've got down here that I think your first try was against was against Cardiff at home. Yeah, I can remember that one. I think Scotty Barrow he was playing twelve that season. I think he made a nice break and then just fed it inside and managed managed to finish finish that one off. But that was a that was a good old tune then. Uh, so in the in the dull lights, <laughs> so so I remember that. But I don't think I, well, I didn't score too many too many for class groups. So, so I can certainly certainly remember most of them anyway. Yeah, and and from 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 when you I guess when you first joined the club, uh, I guess all, I guess probably all the way through your career, were were there are there games that stand out to you as being these kind of big clashes that you you were really up for that um, I guess kind of stick in your mind when you think back to those times. Yeah, there's quite a few. We used to always have a good tussle with Munster. I can remember quite a few games in Munster. Well, beat, beating them at home and, and away as well. They were always always very competitive. Uh, well, Munster at the time as well. They're the best best team best team in Europe. But we seem to have a pretty good pretty good record with them. Uh, but yeah, no, there's lots 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 of games you remember. That's that's for sure. Yeah, and I guess the the art of the lineup probably hasn't changed much. You know, I guess. As, as a forward, the, the scrums have changed yeah, dramatically over the last kind of 15 odd years. So from, from your debut in 2003, you know, we've gone from crouch, touch, pause, engage, you know, to crouch, bind, set. But, but the lineouts haven't really changed that much. So, so when you watch a game these days, do you kind of sit there and you kind of still work out what's going on? And can you, and can you sit there and kind of go, actually, I think you should have thrown here and things like that? Or, or have there been a few changes that maybe someone who's maybe not as much of a rugby aficionado uh, would notice? I don't think I don't think lineouts have changed mass massively since my time. It's probably one of the things that's changed the least, to be honest. Uh, it's pretty pretty similar. I think sort of especially Glasgow, the sort of offload and the handling skills have increased dramatically since since I was involved. Especially off offloading things like that. Uh, when we were played, if you tried to offload and it didn't come off, you're kind of criticised quite heavily for it. Mm -hmm. When uh, well now they practice them and you practice them, you you do that and play, you're going to get better at it. So that's inevitably come off the back. And you sort of changed, saw that with Glasgow change when Gregor Townsend came in. And that really stepped, stepped Glasgow's game up quite considerably from when, from when I retired. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Was there somebody in, in, your, uh, in your Glasgow career that, for one of expression, you enjoyed throwing the ball through the most? Was there, a, was there like a dream target for you as a hooker? <laughs> as long as they caught the ball, I was happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was quite quite lucky because obviously well, Al Kelt was there for quite quite a considerable amount of time, so he led the led the line out really well uh, and orchestrated it quite well. But maybe didn't do a pick and go so well, but uh, certainly certainly line out seems spot, was spot on. And then obviously had Richie Gray as well coming through, and uh, that sort of stature doesn't doesn't do any harm to the to the confidence in it. Yeah, I guess it must be a must be a bonus throwing to the the tallest man to have ever played for Glasgow. Yeah, exactly. Quite quite an athlete as well, so so it was quite quite reassuring. Yeah, and and while trawling through just uh, some of our archives, I found a few old photos of yourself, uh, Al Kellick and Rui Jackson at uh, a Nick Nairn Cook School. It seems like a I guess photo call of some description or another. So I guess you must have been around when 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 Jacko probably joined the club. 
obviously he, off the back of him announcing his retirement uh, yesterday. What are your yeah, I guess, your, mem- yeah, your memories of him joining us? Yeah, I can remember. I think I think the first time Jack came to Glasgow would have been just before the summer before he signed. I think he came down with Glasgow and uh, just sort of had a look at the sessions with him and then joined, joined his academy. Mm-hmm. And then obviously saw him developing. Obviously, Dan Parks is still there. I can remember his first game at the Burnhill, maybe starting, or one of the first games starting. I think he scored a try that game, unfortunately, dislocated his shoulder. But that was, it showed his signs that his career was going to go exponentially. Not really, that's for sure. Um, was he one of those guys that he came down and you went, ah, this guy will go far? Like, he's, he's definitely got that, that, that spark, that one thing that kind of stands out. No, not particularly. <laughs> 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 no, no offense to Jack, he wasn't, he wasn't an athlete or anything like that. Or exceptionally uh, skilled or talented, but the best thing about Jack was he could read, read a game of rugby and was right. probably probably one of the more intelligent rugby players I've sort of sort of played with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he could, he could read, read the game really well. That was that was that was Jack's strongest point of view. And then that sort of showing how he trans, transitioned from a ten to, to to a really good fullback as well. Mm-hmm. That that, again, uh... that fullback he's not particularly rapid or sidestep but then he just hit perfect lines and uh, and read the game perfectly which which not many people can do that, that private edu- private school education uh, serving him well then we <laughs> would be the northeast anyway. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> so so you you were involved in Scotland under 18s under 19s under 21s and then obviously got Scotland A and then full Scotland honors is that correct yeah, that's right, yeah. So, I guess, as you work through those different ranks, is there a marked step up every single, at every single age grade and every single point? Or was yeah, it definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I don't, certainly step, every, every season stepped up, yeah. And even, even when you get into professional rugby, it just seems to, the intensity and the skill level just seems to keep going up and up every season. Was, was there anything you, you would do, I guess, ahead of that next step up that would kind of get, get, prepare you for it? Or was it just a case of just getting in there, getting into training, and then just, I guess, running hard and hitting people hard? Yeah, just, just, just experience, really. Experience mm-hmm. and then just playing at that, that gradually higher level would, would help, you, help you to improve. Mm-hmm. And, and then, I guess, is, is there a marked difference between, I guess, what was Scotland A back in the day and then proper Scotland honours? Yeah, no, definitely. There's a, there's a, there's a huge step up. Yeah. Then I mean, your Scotland Day games probably pretty similar to a pro game. Maybe the top pro games only slightly slightly under, depending who you're playing. But then after that, internationals are totally different ball game. Just just intensity wise and speed and the physicality yeah, again stepped up. And and you think part yeah. of that's because of the because of the, the crowd as well, just the size of crowd and kind of the I guess the atmosphere around the whole place. Yeah, well, certainly, certainly adds to the experience, but uh, but ultimately, playing against the the best players are normally better, faster, and stronger. Mm-hmm. So it just increases uh, that increases that intensity. Mm-hmm. And obviously, yeah. obviously, Craig, Craig had asked there if, if there was someone that you were looking you were looking to kind of throw a line out to. Was there somebody that you were looking to come up against in the scrum that you were always kind of you know eyeing up, thinking yeah, you know, this would be a good person I want to scrum against. Yeah, there's some 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 good players. I mean, I think. So some of the toughest players I played against Richard Hibbard. He was he was he was a really really good player. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a great tackler, ball carrier, loved to scrummage, and he could he could throw a throw as well. He was a tough um, tough component, and he had guys like Gillard 
Giardini, the Italian. Again, he was uh, he was pretty abrasive and enjoyed, enjoyed scrummaging. And then the other one, Dimitri Zazinski of France, he was sort of one of one of the best best around as well. He's good to play against anyway. Good to test yourself. And does it become about, so, international? Sorry, just um, you were so sort of talking about the the intensity of international being there. The fact that it sort of steps up with uh, with every with every level. Not that you are represented Scotland at a World Cup, um, which I'm guessing must be a, a different level altogether. Yeah, well, I didn't well, I didn't play much in that World Cup. But I played against played against New Zealand at Murrayfield. Uh, yeah. We played about sort of 20, 20 minutes, and uh, <laughs> suddenly tired anyway. Because we're just awful central. The All Blacks just chucking all around the place. So yeah, good good experience, but yeah. Certainly, certainly, a, certainly a step up again. That's for sure. The game with the sort of the same coloured kits for one of the best expression. Yeah, I think well, I think Scotland lost forty nil in that game actually. Yeah. But, uh, I'm quite quite proud of that because when I mean when the scrum was going about back about sort of ten meters every scrum, but when I came on, it only went back about five meters. So. <laughs> what an achievement! <laughs> got, to take, got to take those small wins. <laughs> exactly. And. We, we, we were chatting to, to both Dan and Kevin about roommates and, and people that they had lived with while, while playing for the Warriors. So when you were with the Warriors, did you, were you one of these guys who lived with another player or cohabited or were you, did you ha- basically have a totally separate you know, uh, household that you kind of kept and managed to keep that kind of balance between rugby and home or was rugby kind of up there all the time for you? Uh, I was usually on my own most of the time. I had some, some good cameos. I stayed with Kelly Bryan for a couple of weeks, so it was... That was that was blooming good fun, <laughs> and it was at the end of the season as well, which made even better fun. So, you know, it's like stayed with Royal Mont a bit as well. Graham Graham Morrison, when we were students, we stayed we stayed together as well. That was that was interesting. Uh, good, good times, yeah. But most of the time, uh, sort sort of on my own, no, for not any particular reason. But uh, I've had spells with, with players, which was always always good fun anyway. Mm-hmm. Did you have a go-to roommate for away games? I think he normally used to stick his uh, sort of one and two together, or it right. was in the bench. So I think, uh, unfortunately, he got stuck with the props. He and Barry Lowe quite a lot. Came into Chuck might have been one as well. Uh, but, but we didn't get to pick them anyway. Right. Well, okay. Nobody was picking me anyway. <laughs> but that's for sure. Yourself, yourself. Show there, Fergus. <laughs> Although you used to get good away trips back then. Yeah. I played drinks afterwards anyway. I think I, I think I retired the right time. But, but, <laughs> what, are, are there a few standout away trips then that kind of stick in your mind? <laughs> so it was quite well, a good one. You used to always have a good night then in Cardiff anyway. Mm-hmm. Quite a good night in Dublin too. Yeah. What about any, any of the foreign trips away to France or anything like that? Did that... Was that a bit kind of a bit more added, I guess, excitement, especially being Heineken Cup matches? Yeah, well, I can remember one. I think I think we were playing Narbonne. It would be the Challenge Cup, and then we went out to some nightclub in the middle of middle of nowhere. So everyone went there, and I think it finished up about five in the morning, and uh, we had to walk cross country to get back to the hotel. <laughs> and I think we were in push me then. Uh, then sort of walk on the road and it was like a steep embankment. I think he pushed me down. By <laughs> <Like> 20 metres. <laughs> but I think I reciprocated by pushing him into a thorny bush about 15 minutes later. So that was a, 
That was good fun. Always have to make sure you get your own back. <laughs> so what, what, what were the, kind of the post-match festivities back then? Obviously, you said that you think you, you retired at the right time. So what was, kind of the, what was the, the, the ritual or, or the go-to after a game? Uh, well, I'll just be depend. We 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 go out every night, but uh, after game, we're complete alcoholics. But uh, we had a good time. So almost time you just normally meet up for a couple of beers and then see 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 what happens. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. obviously, well, with, with Dave, what happens is it's uh, it's generally just back to the hotel and maybe maybe one or two beers, uh, sitting around and singing songs with a with an acoustic guitar. So I guess probably markedly different to what you guys were doing a few years ago then. Yeah, but well, the, the smarter ones sort of gauged it. So if you had a bad result, you tended not to go out. Mm-hmm. Uh, some players maybe had other ideas. I can remember Foxy sneaking out in Cardiff one time. I think he got a bit of trouble after that one. So it's a it's something that sort of I'd like to sort of develop to as well. Try that again. It's, uh, it's something that sort of. Duncan says it sort of developed alongside the, the club's own development, um, which is a really strange segue to put in. But we're talking about um, club development. It's just over 10 years since Glasgow's first ever playoff match, uh, which you were involved in down in, in Swansea against the Ospreys. Um, again, from, from your point of view, looking at where, where the club was when you joined to that point to where um, the club is now sort of regularly challenging for, for playoff matches, just give us a Give us your, sort of, your thoughts and reflections on, on the journey the club's been on in the past decade or so. Yeah, well, I think the first time we met the playoffs, we sort of had a, well, a really good crop of players uh, that was sort of peaking at that time. I think one by one, guys like Kelly Bryan and Dan Parks, who both, both left at the end of that season, which is, which is a big loss. And I think from one of the best seasons, I think we had probably one of the worst, worst seasons after that. But we had a lot of young guys like Ryan Wilson, Henry Pergos, Pete Horn. Richie Gray, they all came in, got loads of rugby the next season. So, okay, we didn't have a great season that year. It created a great foundation for the for the club to kick on. Uh, and that was sort of shown in the 2011-2012 season when we got to got to the semis again. And then, obviously, Sean Lean left and Gregor Townsend came in. And from that bunch, we a couple of additions uh, of some big names. And the club really really kicked on from there and have seemed to, seemed to be improving all the time. And... Club sort of has no no problem producing long, young talent, which is uh, which is the most important thing because it's always always the future is more more important than the past. That's for sure. Yeah, and and I, while doing some research, I was looking at your, uh, your your player profile on it's rugby, and it implies that in all of your caps, you did not want you were not once carded, yellow or red card. Would that be the case? Uh, oh no, I think I got yellowed once against the Lefty Scarlets, but I think right. I think that would be it. Yeah, I'm just a just a really respectable good guy. So. Just just an, just an honest player. All <laughs> front rows are surely. Yeah, so I think that's the only time. I think it was against Scarlets at Hunden again. Mm-hmm. I think it came on for probably Scotty Lawson and got Simbind after about two minutes. I think we, we still won the game, so it was fine. Oh, yeah, that's the most important thing, isn't it? Exactly. And and you so you joined in I guess the two thousand and two two thousand and three season and and I guess one constant that has remained throughout Glasgow from back when you were playing all the way through till now is Shiz the kit man Dougie Mills. Now, pardon? Good old winger. Yeah, but would I be right in thinking that then that you were there you were with the Warriors before he joined? No, I think Dougie was 
Melvin was always was always involved. Right. Okay. Right from, right from day dot. Yeah. <laughs> What are what are your your memories of him? Everyone just talks about kind of how he was such a driver of culture, or how he is still such a driver of culture, and just kind of someone that was always there to to kind of lighten the mood and keep things fun. Yeah, just just a just a really good guy, Shizzler. So he's always there to help everyone. He sort of leads by example by the shape he keeps himself in, mm-hmm. and he's uh, pretty professional as well. But then he he raises raises team morale with a with a bit of banter, mm-hmm. which yeah, doesn't do anybody any harm. Are there are there any uh, standout pranks that that he played that you were involved in or you you, you bore the brunt of? Uh, I can't remember anything particular. All I can remember is of Shizzler is just some taking his top all, off all the time and showing off his abs. Which, uh, <laughs> I'd imagine are still in pretty decent nick, and he's probably still doing that on a regular basis. I haven't seen him with his top off, but I'm pretty sure he's oh, still abs. <laughs> uh, he's still keeping fit twenty years later. It's impressive. He still runs rings around most of us as well. Yeah, I know. And and you're you're a you're a one club man. Is that something that you have a sense of pride pride of? Are are you you know when you when you think about it, you go hang on, you know I've played for one club and one club only. And is there kind of that real huge affinity to Glasgow, or, or sometimes is there in the back of your head you go, I wonder what it would have been like to play somewhere else, or I wonder what the culture would have been like, or I wonder what the experience would have been like. Yeah, certainly. I don't think I ever set in my career to be so solely one one club guy, but I don't think I had any sort of uh, major draws to go and play for anybody else. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly I really enjoyed my t- time at Glasgow. I wa- wanted to succeed at Glasgow and, and play well, so it was quite quite up and down. I always wanted to go and sort of finish my career off in France. Uh, certainly something that I wanted to go and test 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 myself. I there, but just just of injuries, just just never materialised. Mm-hmm. So I'm quite, yeah, quite, quite, quite sort of proud to have been been with one, one, one club all my all my career. That's um, for sure. And when re-signings came around, what was there? Was there a kind of a key thing that was keeping you at Glasgow? Yeah, well, I think the potential was always there for Glasgow, so that's why I always wanted to want to be part of, part of that because I sort of deep down knew the club was going to be successful. Mm-hmm. At some stage, and you want want to be, want to be a part of that, and not and not and not miss miss out on anything. I think, well, sort of when I was in Glasgow, I'm sure it's the same now. We had a really good team team culture, and uh, there was a lot lot of good guys, and everyone everyone got on and, and really played and stuck stuck in for for each other, which which sort of made it made it for myself anyway. That was the that was the most important thing. And, and do, do you right. oh, on you go, Craig. No, I'm just you're talking about sort of the pack of guys and other um, a couple of a couple of characters that sort of stand out in your head when you think about your your time back with the club, um, running out alongside this player or this player. Uh, there a couple of couple of guys that come to mind first. Oh, there's plenty, plenty, plenty of characters. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> plenty over my time, like Evans brothers, they were there. Roy Lamont, he was always quite a character. Uh, with the, Argentinians, Bernie Sartoni, and uh, Fede, they kept things interesting. Uh, was really good mates. Graham Morrison, Marvin Millen, Brian Wilson, the three Bs. Yeah, just uh, obviously Kevin Chuck, Justin Barr, things like that. Really bun- good bunch of boys. Hugh Murray was there at the start, start of my career as well. And uh, I'm sure I've missed a few that'll get slagged off about. But. No, really, really, really lucky to play at the club when there was such a good uh, team camaraderie. Oh, sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? Camaraderie. 
<laughs> camaraderie. That's that's for sure. And uh, yeah, that was to me that was the most most special thing with Glasgow was the was the bunch of boys that I played with. That's that's for sure. Are there guys that you still keep in touch with now? Yeah, keep 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 in, keep in touch with quite 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 a few boys. I mean, not 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 massively regularly now. We're all all got families and yeah, and are pretty pretty busy. But if I bump into any any of my old teammates, it's just like just like it was when we see them. Things things and banter don't really don't really change, and it's uh, it's always good fun. Mm-hmm. And and you touched on there looking to maybe go to France, but kind of injuries and things like that got in the way. So so when when you retired, was it more of a case of your 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 body was kind of was, was I guess I don't want to use the word giving up, but your your body was just kind of saying no at that point, or yeah, I was having some sort of issues issues with my shoulder, so I had a fourth, fourth operation. Well, I had three, and then I was sort of coming back from that, and I sort of deteriorated again. So I went and did another tidy up. Uh, it was all four on my right shoulder, sort of showing signs early signs of arthritis. So at that time, I just thought it was the time, right time to, right time to retire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it can get pretty frustrating when uh, when you when you're not doing what you want to do, effectively. Yeah, and obviously, again, with with Jacko retiring yesterday, when you make that decision, what is it like? And I guess when it's announced as well, kind of what what's going through your head and what was kind of the experience? Yeah, certainly. Well, I don't I don't envy the position for all the players when they've got to retire at some stage because. It's such a such a close close knit family, and then it's just like drop of a knife. You're 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 right, and that's that's it. But I mean, that's that's ultimate, ultimately how how it has to be. But when you go through well, from an early day, most of us are wanting to be a professional rugby player. You get to that point, and you you've almost got to reinvent yourself. Mm-hmm. So you just need to go go back to basics, and then evaluate what what you sort of want to want to achieve, set your new goals, and then kick kick on from there. But it's it's certainly not not an easy transition for anyone. What's the, the equivalent of the, the sort of life after rugby program um, or rugby for life program that the Scottish rugby have got now? When when you were uh, hanging up your boots, or was there um, was it just a case of you and you and the club having a discussion about what you want to do next? It was really back back then. It was very much up to up to up to the individual. Really, I mean, you got a wee, wee bit of support, but uh, you certainly want. Uh, we weren't discouraged from doing anything, but you really had to have to decide or kick kick on kick on yourself, really, or or it just wouldn't happen. Simply, but ultimately, it's down to the down to the individual to to make it to make it happen. And and since retiring, you, you were talking about kind of setting goals there, and right at the start, you talked about farming. So, so what have you been up to? What what are you doing now? Uh, well, I retired in twenty twelve, so I went on and did a masters in rural surveying. In the land economy up in Aberdeen, a postgrad. So did the the year of that. Then I got a job at a firm called Rose of Aquin called Davidson Robertson, who I'm, who I'm still with now. So I was based in based in Edinburgh for three years there, uh, passed my professional qualifications, uh, became a member of the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors and uh, fellow in agricultural arbitrators and valuers, as well as an RICS registered valuer. So fully qualified then, set up. An office in Berk on Tweed with Davidson Robertson. Uh, so I've been sort of manager, branch manager of that office since the start of 2017. And then, well, coincided with that, a couple of years before, I moved down to my wife's family farm, which, which we're, we're running a partnership now. 
So we've got 400 acres, uh, predominantly arable, and a, a few sheep. So yeah, keeps me busy. Was, was farming ever kind of on the horizon for you, or was it something that you just kind of fell into? Yeah, no, I've always had an interest. Uh, mom and dad, they, they had a farm back in Fife uh, and still, still do. So I've always had that sort of interest. Uh, but yeah, I've always been interest, interested in land and, uh, and farming as well. So, but when it, well, certainly when I was younger, when I was playing rugby, I wasn't, I was just very focused on rugby. It wasn't until, until later, later in my career that I sort of became more, more interested in, in it. Yeah. I should, I should probably mention that I got married in that time as well with two children. Of course, yeah, that, that's a big one. And, and I think ha have kids as well. Was, was that in there somewhere as well? Yeah, yeah. So Clark, Clark's six and Elna's, Elna's five, yeah. And I've got, Which keeps you busy, the kids or the sheep? <laughs> not, not too dissimilar, to be honest. <laughs> So I've got, I've got one final question for you, Fergus, that we ask every single guest that's come on during lockdown. And it's, if there was one player from your time when you were at the club that you had to spend lockdown with, just you and one other person, who would it be and why? Who would it be? This is a tough one. I can have plenty of one for a few days and then it'd be maxed out. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Uh, How long is this lockdown for? Uh, well, you know, we're still in it right now, so... <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, Ryan, Ryan Wilson, he'd be a hoot. Mm -hmm. But what, could, you, could, you, could you last the lockdown? It would, uh, it'd be entertaining, that's for sure. He'd certainly keep, I think he'd keep your spirits up. He'd keep you positive throughout the whole he'd thing. Keep it, yeah, he'd keep it positive. He'd always be something on the go, but you might just, might just get over fatigued with him. You know? Yeah. Who, who are the few that, you were, that would last a few days, but that would be kind of it? Eh, oh, certainly... Somebody like Parksy would be great fun, but again, after three or four days, you probably want to shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody like Ray Morrison, Kelly Bryan, I think they'd, they'd, they'd last a bit longer, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you guys are maybe not quite as intense. Yeah. Somebody like <laughs> well, thank you very much, Fergus, for joining us on this week's uh, Warriors Weekly. No, no problem. It's been a, been a pleasure. Great. Cheers. Thank you. Warriors Weekly, Glasgow Warriors official podcast.